We need to have a clear interaction, so welcome to a centered subject. And today is a special day where we have a clear introduction. <laughs> Are you still in New York, Jenny? I am. It has stopped raining for two days, which was pretty oh. wonderful and delicious. Is it less now hot? It is less hot. Um, but yeah, I, when we do this, I have to turn off my fan and, and AC. So if I become, if I start to speak faster throughout the episode. Then you should turn on the AC and we'll take a break. Yeah. Okay, good. So something, something happens midway through, but yeah, it's, it's like been really cool and lovely and overcast, which has been kind of fun for thinking about our topic and, and yeah. How's LA you guys? It just got really hot yeah it's like someone turned like, on the the gas or something over the day <laughs> like really, the more really the morning started mild and then we walked oh. out into like yeah inferno inferno but yeah. it's not <laughs> unpleasant oddly because it hadn't heated up yet yeah. to that impossible point oh, right. the air is steaming but it's a surprise it's so still like the curiosity still, of the experience yeah so you're, so like, you're like oh, oh it can be hot. like this yeah my body feels something yeah. different yeah and then yeah. I, I came home and i was just i came a little bit before zoe came and i thought i should you know cool down the house even though it wasn't really that cold i'm oh, sorry hot <laughs> uh, so i turned on the ac and zoe came um and then I guess somehow everything stopped, all the electricity stopped working because I think everyone in the apartment building is running their AC, so my breaker climped. Um, Anyway, whatever, not very interesting. But um, Zoe's. No, the use of the word word climped is really interesting. It's a really interesting word. (laughs) I disagree. Oh, yes, we have a guest. I developed it. (laughs) I developed it because we have a guest. So today we have a guest. Um, our esteemed guest is Zoe Ejimore. Hi, Zoe. Hi. So Zoe is a special guest in many ways, and one being because um, she is the owner of the of the literary tome which sired the name of this podcast. Oh. So um, yes. she has a book named, what is it, Zoe? It's Porn Studies, Linda Williams. Yeah. And in it were the words centered oh, subject. True, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and we were just sitting in um, Zoe's workspace oh, one afternoon and I was um, waxing about podcasting and you know, and then of course, like what should it be named? Um, needed to be decided, and so I opened this book, and I put my finger in it, and it was yeah. landed exactly on the centered subject. Oh, yeah, and it was awesome, a great name, which remains with us today. I'm so happy. Although, although the other day I spoke to someone, and he said that he was telling someone about the podcast, but he told them that it was called Subject Uncentered. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which I thought was also somehow even possibly yeah. more appropriate. Mm. It describes the way we introduce the show. And just in general, what happens, really. Is just, <laughs> yeah. so there starts to be a subject and it slides it's aside. It yeah, seems, but it down. eventually it comes, comes to a place, comes a forth. landing place. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. It does, yeah. Well, so what was around the words centered subject in general? Well, we were um, trying to remember that. But yeah. it was one of those hidden phrases. Yeah, we couldn't find the book. We tried to look it up on Google Books, but we, we just couldn't find a combination. Uh, I don't know. I think it was just yeah. a fortuitous, serendipitous event. Um, right. But 
regardless, I think it also sets up the theme of our today's meeting, which is vaguely related to pornography somehow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it's not pornography. Pornography. <laughs> I came across um some articles last week. One was about um animated, sort of the rise of animated porn. And then another one was I kept seeing this well I kept seeing ads, which is like the, the big late motif of my life is like <laughs> seeing ads mm-hmm. and then going on a tangent. <laughs> but so the recent ad was this app called Dip uh, what is it? Dipsy? Dipsy. Dip, oh yeah, Dipsy, Dipsy yeah. And and then I saw articles about it, and it's it's kind of an erotic narrative that it's like an audio it's app, an basically. Audio. It's like a podcast ish app that tells you vaguely. Did you have you listened loot. to it? Oh yes, yes, I did. I I gave can tested. You, can you tell night. us about it? Mm-hmm. So I downloaded the app, and it gives you a few options to explore. So I looked at so there are different stories, and they have rating underneath them, which are like in little fires. Oh yeah. So I <laughs> think they were like it? you, you know, for a free trial, there, I think there were like five <laughs> stories to explore, and so I picked the one with the most fires. I think it was like six <laughs> fires, <laughs> and it was something about Scary. A, yeah. a woman with a hammer on her shoulder, no less, and it was something about breaking walls. And I was like, oh, is this going to be controversial? You know, so of course I'm, I'm always in the market for controversy. Uh, kind of but anyway so in the article I read um, an article an interview with the founders you know and they were sort of describing all these scenarios how you know you listen to it and it kind of propels you in these new sensual directions or perhaps um, mm-hmm. you know so I was like okay fine so I put on the headphones <laughs> lay down and then like you know turn it on and then it was just it was just the most stupidest <laughs> <laughs> fucking idiotic story. I don't know. Well, okay, so it was just a couple. of like him and her. What happens in the story? It's okay, so this is what happens. Sorry to give it away. When does the hammer? Cliff the hammer. Cliff hammer. Okay, so what happens is that he and her they are renovating their house that they purchased, <laughs> which is already <laughs> like, you know, painful. And then, you know, he, she's like, there's like, if there's a problem, he's like, oh, all these cables are entangled. I don't know. He was like, oh, what a problem. And she's like, oh, is this going to cost a lot of money? It's like, great narrative. So and then he's like, oh, not necessarily. I think we can handle it on our own. And she's like, oh, I want to try. And then he's like, oh, yes, let me show you how, let me get behind you and show you how to swing this Aww. big hammer. And then, you know, oh, she's like, what? and then she's like, bam, ah, Bam. <laughs> sorry. Oh Wait, and is there I sound effects? No. Well, it was sorry. No, was, you hear the sound. You know, it was like a Foley sound. Yeah, you know, so you like yeah. hear the banging, and then you like, you look so sexy. <laughs> With wait, a hammer, so wait. then he's behind her and he starts fucking her. Maybe, but we don't really know because all we hear is just this like, ah, oh, ah, oh, ah, oh, baby. <laughs> I don't like that. You just made an audio podcast. <laughs> so wait, they were they were having a disagreement about chords. I just felt ridiculous. I felt like it was over. over and why? Hearing. So where did the erotic part come in when they were? confused about renovations like that's that's what i don't understand that's i think they're so confounded by construction that they decided to upset <laughs> was it like a way to get away from the construction trouble that they just like procrastination yeah <laughs> they became frustrated and scared and then they had to bang i don't know for real yeah. or the hammer was the hammer like turn somehow on. was turn on oh, such a socialist system i'd like right. to say as well you know yeah, sickle, right. sickle who is the sickle who is the hammer right yeah uh, mm-hmm. The hard driving hammer. All right. 
I guess. Wielded by a soft woman. <laughs> yeah, by a soft yeah. woman. Yeah, those contrasts, they were just so strong. Interesting. Six fires strong. <laughs> so how many fires do you give it? Oh, I uninstalled it right after. <laughs> Zero I didn't even, You know, I didn't even deign to, to like, give it any rating. Yeah. Anyway, somehow I just, yeah, I think because maybe I came to it in a critical frame of mind. Right. I just found it very... Interesting. I'm finding that too. The more I come to this material in this way of like thinking about it academically or even vaguely journalistically, it has the opposite effect on me. I keep getting disgusted by stuff. <laughs> it's bumming me out. I don't know how anybody writes about porn, or t- maybe that's why there aren't that many people thinking critically about it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like a deeply unsexy thing in a way, and I'm trying to work it out in my head, being like, "Well, is it the thing where if you talk about sex, it's unsexy?" But I mean, I've kind of gotten through the point where I've been able to talk about sex with people that I'm sleeping with, and it's not unsexy anymore. But that's what I was thinking earlier. I was just like, "Wow, really thinking about sex? It puts you in this really kind of..." not sexy place and uh i don't know i guess people get used to it but there's like a disgust that's happened i also listened to a bunch of those i listened to three or four today and but they were like <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> hard. yeah sorry I, I was trying to like get one that had i agreed that it had a lot of fires <laughs> i just would get grossed out really similarly exactly, like, right yeah, it was so gross i was just so yeah. grossed out somehow and i was like is it me like well this audio form is supposed to open up the imagination right but it sounds like a narrative that has no space for imagination so it sounds like yeah it totally prescribed it's so prescribed even the way you described it i was like oh that sounds like i was imagining i was like that sounds like the 70s porn where like the pizza delivery person and like you know like it sounds like it's in the same narrative trap it really does yeah right and i wish that was just why did there have to be a narrative i feel like it would be just much better i think like maybe just like hearing people fumbling might just be enough or something sort of that's what i listened to i thought that too the one called quinn is the first one that has the most fires is a british man who's a little nervous i swear to you this guy feels weird he's not a real voice actor i don't think or maybe yeah maybe he's just a sadomasochist but he's just like you will take off your pants You won't even <laughs> you won't even think about it, will you? I demand no. that you take off your pen. No. And it's like but he's not really owning it's it. So he's, and and I can imagine all these people because he got the most <laughs> he fires. He got the most fires? Oh my god. And he's just demanding like, everyone oh, take their clothes off. off. <laughs> it was weird. I was like, ew, no, I don't want to. But I mean I could see I could see why it was more than everyone else because most of the other ones were just moaning or foley. Oh. But my favorite one, because I just like the noises, because I guess I'm like ASMR or whatever, and I yeah. just like noises, was yeah. like, <laughs> there was no story at all. So they were like having that idea. And they were like, you're uh, two people in a dressing room. You're in a dressing room with your boyfriend. And you don't even hear people doing anything. You just hear people putting their clothes on the rack so you can hear the sound of a hanger, Ooh. which I found really really satisfying I was like oh it's a hanger okay I was oh this is something (laughs) that's a familiar situation I'm really into it we're just living in so many imaginary worlds though it's so funny it's like all these spaces we inhabit you know through listening and watching I know it's disorienting I think it has for me it has to be really good art or something I think 
the art being really great is part of the erotic thing for me. I was thinking all of the movies and things that I've ever watched that I thought were really, not necessarily porn, but like films that I thought were really beautiful and sexual in a certain way and sensual mm. and whatever. And it was usually because they were really good and the characters yeah. were really well done and, and the it's whole sort story. It's sort of woven into the story. Like it's just kind of feels like a... Yeah, and it was like the of world of the story was really complete. Mm-hmm. It's hilarious and kind of cute that these worlds are so incomplete i like that but there's like a charm to it right, it was such a short that the whole hammer interlude i feel like it was like six <laughs> minutes or something was like, wow yeah amazing right we had such a great time so you pulled this really nice sontag article oh, yeah yeah and it was kind of what you were saying zoe too it's like uh let's see Pornography uses a small, crude vocabulary of feeling all relating to the prospects of action, feeling one would like to act, lust, feeling one would not like to act, shame, fear, aversion. There are no gratuitous or non-functioning feelings, no musings, whether speculative or imaginistic, which are irrelevant to the business at hand. So, like, on the one hand, it's kind of nice how direct pornography in this way is you know it's so simple because like fucking in a way is pretty simple but in another way like it's you know sensuality and just being a person is so complex and you know relationships are so complex and and Mm. so in that way sex is so complex that yeah when you just like slice it so thin it's kind of laughable and funny but like functional you know you could probably Mm. get off that way but it's in such a thin kind of flimsy kind of gross way i don't know mm. yeah i was just looking at the, uh, some other article that responded you know like written a couple of years ago responded mm-hmm. to her piece he essentially said that it was irrelevant because the new media rendered this kind of narrative tropes irrelevant you know because of just like how much you know mm-hmm. there's so many gifts you know that's like mm-hmm. things that are and he was arguing that it was not narrative you know these kind of like closed loops yeah the kind of the short instances i guess that are just taken out of context Mm -hmm. but i would say that even though things are like loops or just photos they still have a narrative Mm -hmm. you know i mean you infer i think that's just such a kind of a shallow look at it because everything narrates about an image you know Mm -hmm. from clothing to the setting and like even if it's three seconds you can still right slurp so much from it <laughs> the episode it's in good. which I use new language. Just yeah, really. Just use onomatopoeia so for the rest everywhere. of the episode. Your onomatopoeia is like hotter than most of the things that we yeah. listen to. Just, it's just you saying slurp, slurp and whatever that last word was that you said. Just keep going. Just add sprinkle those in throughout the episode. For our erotic listeners, we are also pleasantly sweating <laughs> well, away. Very much sweating. <laughs> no, suddenly it came. Slurp, 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 slurp. I kept trying to conceptualize mm-hmm. my if I had all the money in the world, my ideal pornography. Mm. You know, if I had some sort of habit like most men have, or most a lot of people have, which I don't. And I don't know why I don't have it. I've had it before in my life where there's like pornography and masturbation and all of that. But it's like I don't really do that anymore, partially because 
um, it's just so not satisfying. I get in this really stuck aesthetic place. Mm. Like I just like sit there thinking about aesthetics and narrative in this argument and it like sex just goes away from me, you know, like it doesn't even exist. Mm. So I was just conceptualizing it and I really have no idea because of a lot of these problems. And so I made the decision like for me that it's just, it has to do with my life. And just like, I kind of like the idea of not having a source of, you know, interest. And sometimes it just happens randomly or whatever, you know, and that life itself for me is like become enough, but I've had to work at it (laughs) to be that, you know, life has become (laughs) pornography. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the thing I agree. Life feels like the scenes unfolding in my head are so much more exciting than any reality or porn hub or anything. Right. But I think that has to be like developed over time. And I think that when you like people become addicted to porn, their like erotic imagination it, like dies out imagination shuts down no i completely agree and actually this other thing i read about this week was something about some study that was pointed at the fact that if you watch a lot of porn which I, the title of it was really hilarious it was like an ethical behavior at work <laughs> jeez Viewing pornography increases unethical behavior, according to new research. Yikes. And then the subline is, it's possible that watching people perform sex acts can lead us to dehumanize others, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, yeah, okay, so it's not this article, but another article actually made just a direct link to being unethical at work. They're like, have you done anything unethical at work lately? Have you been watching (laughs) pornography? Wow. Perhaps there's a link. What a scary interview. That is really scary. (laughs) Those four people, I feel bad for them. What? No, it's fine. (laughs) Yes. I still food sometimes. Oh, I did it. So funny. Mm. Who who did the study? Uh, Brigham Young University. Oh, yeah, there it's you a go. Mormon study. There's, I know. This is like, what? How did they? Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. They just um, increased moral disengagement. They called it out. Well, I will say though. I mean, like, I am not Mormon or particularly religious, but like, pornography has a lot of really fucked up shit in it, and that is why people True. like it and they like that freedom. But I mean, I never engage with anybody who's a strangler. But I was recently like talking to people or just I feel like I was overhearing a conversation and people were just like, oh, like, like asphyxiation stuff. Like when people no, Well, no, not even that. That's kind of charming compared to this. But they were like, you know, guys are just into like normal guys because of pornography are just right. into like choking oh, yeah. girls. I read that. Yeah, that's the kind of their trope. There's the kind of sexual mm. behaviors that come out of that. Yeah. Or yeah, particular. that. So, yeah, there's like a kind there's of like scenography learned. that under, yeah, underlies. But then how so then is desire consistent? Constructed through experience, or where does desire come from? That's a great question. What if, is experience? Like, in is what is mediated right uh, viewing an experience? experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that in terms of pornography, I think in terms of the way I think men I've known are, I think that that's the only blueprint they get in a lot of ways about what sex is and it isn't because there hasn't been a lot of talking going on between them, um, and like there just isn't a lot of education I think of men themselves like they just don't do that so they just watch porn and they think that's just what sex is I think women do that too actually yeah yeah Yeah, sure so maybe it's just like there's like a lack of literacy and then a lack of like Mm -hmm. you know people being like no I don't want to be strangled why do you think that's really okay I mean a lot of people would but that but it's like just to take it for granted that that's like the thing that you have to do right or maybe those certain porns are made really really well and then the ones that are super successful or have these behaviors and then people get hooked on those behaviors yeah. or it 
it's taboo. So then it pushes the envelope farther and farther. I think taboo is really related, mm-hmm. but, but I don't know. Oh, no. Or, and then I just wonder too, like, is desire like evolving and changing through this? Like, are people having these sexual experiences that are like shaped by what they're watching? And then are they getting off on that? Or are they just, are people just mm-hmm. not having the experiences that they want? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's that. It's really a hidden area of life in some ways, you know. I yeah. think that yeah. like sexual behavior. It is a behavior. Yeah. It is it's behavior. Of, it is like yeah. you know, I don't know, doing it's like push-ups learned. or eating or something. Yeah. You know, it's just like it's a behavior, but it's like one that's somehow left for everyone to sort out. Right, and they're hidden in the darkness or yeah. something. And right, it's not really a conversational right. But it's totally social. It's so so it's also social. It's very social yeah, at the same time, right? Yeah. Let's discuss it and figure it out once and for all, <laughs> just now. Well, I'm I'm gonna throw out uh, Twenty Shades of Grey and say, okay, so like if you look at like I've never seen that. I read that. Yet. I haven't either. But like if you look at it through the history of sex, right? So then like everybody was way more frigid or whatever, not open to talking about sex or whatever in the 60s and 50s. And then it became more okay. In the 60s? 60s? Oh, okay. No, sorry. Yeah, they woke up and women woke up and were like, oh, this is what my desire is and this is what orgasm is and this is who I am and and uh, more and more. And so maybe, you know, it, everybody in one way of seeing it has, you know, evolved more to be more open to whatever fantasies they're into and whatever types of sex or whatever, you know, identity, sexual identity, not like preference but like you know bdsm or you know furries or some shit you know like whatever your deal is is more okay so then more people are gravitating towards those different communities and stuff you know so as that kind of stuff is developing um so there's like a freedom that's increasing over time and then some people are like oh no i'm just vanilla or whatever so then (laughs) vanilla it's true but then that it's okay to do that right so it's like there's kink and vanilla right okay so then something like 20 uh what is it? 20 shades? 50, 50 shades. How many, how many shades is there? 73 shades of gray. <laughs> it doesn't matter to me. So so there's all the shades and they come out. Then all of the very kind of more uptight people read that. And then that makes them, that's hot because of the taboo oh, thing. Right. And then that makes them feel more free to do it. And then all of a sudden you have BDSM people, you know, and there's a lot more going on. And it's like a whole culture. But they're only doing it pretty much because of that book so that it's sort of like a fad thing. But also it's an extension of their sexual identity where they feel like it's more okay to do that. Mm. So I feel like that happened. I feel like a lot more normal people who were more uptight about sex were kind of engaging in interesting bdsm type stuff. But yeah, and then it's like waned a little bit, I noticed. It became less of a thing people would talk about. How'd oh, you no. know that? What yeah. happened? <laughs> I don't know. What's the new, what's the new trend? I have no idea. Well, I know that the strangling thing, we should ask some, we should ask any normal American male because they know everything. <laughs> They'll be all like, well, obviously it's blah, blah, blah. And we're like, what? Yeah. They all know. Their little hive mind of, of viewers. Okay, so I once watched this pornography when I was a teenager in Israel, and someone's parents were away, and you know we were digging through the VHS tapes, oh. and we found this one exciting one that was titled "My Little Pony," <laughs> which was of course a horse, and you know yeah. there's a horse and a woman, and they were doing it, and it was quite hilarious. Oh my god, Lenny, do you remember? Do you remember when we were in the puppet studio? Many years ago, and we found the equestrian porn magazine. 
Do you remember that? <laughs> I have forgotten, but I guess it's a recur- again another recurring motif in my life. I know they just like it just occurs. It just enters. Maybe your one life. day I will, you know, <laughs> do it with a horse. <laughs> Maybe this is your future. Ew! No, whatever. You don't like that. Sorry, I'll, I don't like that. Really, no. No, uh, no saddle. No, no equine. Equine. <laughs> equine. <laughs> Equine action. See, I think that's a really good fetish. Like, I like fetishes that are. Well, horses are very graceful and beautiful. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and it takes a lot of gear. <laughs> I feel I like they could kill commitment. you, though. Yeah, they would just like smash you down. Yeah. I hope my brother's not listening. Why? I don't know. It's like a bit weird. Well, I know. Why? I think sometimes he listens. I can. Does see. he have a I've, horse? What? <laughs> 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 oh my I god know. I just admitted that I watched pornography with a horse I'm <laughs> ashamed um, I know well that's according to Susan that's the next part <laughs> that's the problem <laughs> weird wait but I have a question for Zoe actually yeah so I feel like your works like your work your studio like has a few books on kind of like pornography studies and you sort of reference that material in your work I feel like you want to talk about it how um oh and Zoe directs um she's a director for theater yeah theater and performance yeah Yeah. well okay so that collection of oh yeah like what's the story of the collection I feel like came because I was thinking really specifically about this project that I wanted to do where I wanted to work in um like there's all these apartments in the valley that are Airbnb'd out for porn shoots. Mm. And what I was really interested in was that the the like mise-en-scene or like the scenography of the porn shoot leaves the people's house like totally intact. So you'll mm. have like, you know, like it's like the bedding of the family that lives there, or the couple that lives there, or in like their photos and you know, so I was just really interested in like how people's like lives which may or may not have like sexuality in them like become like their domestic sexuality becomes Mm -hmm. like a performance of Mm -hmm. sexuality and so like this space where kind of like what we were talking about like what are how do we construct desire and like how do we construct narratives around desire Mm -hmm. um and where do those things like connect yeah. yeah. Hmm. I feel like you're, you're no, sort of like I'm, researching peripherally the project. Or it's yeah, really it's a project that I'm still really interested in. It kind of like fell to the side of a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because there's porn in LA. I feel like oh, yeah. I yeah. keep remembering about that. You know, every now and then something like comes up in the news or something, and I'm just yeah, like, oh, yeah, there's, there's the whole like industry. And we have a friend who used to. Oh, work, yes, who worked in, yeah. as a like a like a PA, PA on porn set. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and then went on to. With other, an Oscar. Other, other <laughs> We're not going to say who. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is like a whole, it's a whole industry. I mean, that's the other weird thing about it, right? Is it's one of the biggest businesses in, in, yeah. in the country. Yeah. And in general, like, I think there's like Pornhub Awards, which is like a really big media event, right? But it's not mm-hmm. covered in mainstream media ever, oh. you know? But it's like a big thing. And how do I know this? I think I, there's someone I follow. I think it was some sort of Instagram learning experience where they follow this Russian guy. We seemed quite normal, and then it turned out that he was a porn actor, and he's like, hmm. you know, <laughs> I think he won an award or something. Anyway, cool. for, his porn, for his performance. <laughs> John Ronson, who's a writer and a radio guy that I really like, I think he did a bunch of radio episodes and wrote a book about the porn industry. 
Um, and he went and he interviewed specific people and kind of followed around the whole industry where like basically Pornhub kind of broke the industry apart. So there were these small, Mm. small organizations, you know, small studios. And then when Pornhub came out, they lost all their money. Oh, I see. So Pornhub sort of funds, is that kind of how it works, I guess? So they just, they, they, it's like Netflix for porn, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's like YouTube for porn. So so basically the content, (laughs) it's free. Yeah. They don't get paid for their content. So then what ended up happening, which he describes his piece is called the butterfly effect is that a lot of niche porn started to come out. So then really, really rich guys would hire porn studios to make porn just for them. Mm. That's very bespoke porn. My goodness. Here you go. There's the, uh, yeah. One person porn shows. Yeah. And so then, so one of my favorite ones was the porn star who the guy really liked. And he was in the porn movie, the uh, guy who bought it. She would take his stamp collection from him and like step on it in her stiletto heel. Wow. <laughs> his actual beloved stamp collection. Oh God, I hope no him. one ever steps on my stamp. <laughs> And then she would like throw it in the fire, and that was that oh was the whole God. porno. Was and anyone he, naked and at he all, was or in just it too? Yeah, and he was in it. He was suffering. Was he like feeling? Yeah, was it dramatic? It was kind of a sadism a form of yeah. sadism. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think Which, that is oh. the most exciting porno that I could imagine. Partially because I haven't seen it. How do you call it in English like stamp collecting? There's a great word in Russian. I know. Oh. What is it in Russian? It's philately. It's like philately. Yeah. Philatelist is someone who collects. So is it like philately? Which sounds yeah. like, like philatio. Yes. But so it all makes sense <laughs> now. Maybe the porno was just like wordplay. It was just fellatio and That would be my porno, yes. I think. I think a wordplay. A wordplay porno. porno. <laughs> That's a great Give idea. Give me a pun and I'll get off on it. So you should upload some wordplay porno to win. I yeah, think you have I'll work to in it. I'll work in yeah. it. I'll, um, I'll work in my ideal scenario. Yeah. I would love that too, actually. I mean, that's maybe missing from porn. Maybe I'll, that's a very clear thing. I mean, I all of people that I've ever been really attracted to are usually pretty good with language, and so they're true. funny. Yeah, yes, and they're interesting. And person. porn is not funny or interesting in that same way at all. Yeah. Yeah. That is missing, and that would be really difficult. I mean, you'd have to write great literature or write a great screenplay before you could make something that's at the level of what I've engaged in before the act. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't that clever, but it was much more clever than you know the pizza guy. <laughs> you know, not that he's not great. But then, do you want the porn that you watch to like do the same thing that turns you on in real life or is it about like the woman in the stilettos like on your stamp collection which would never happen right I don't know I actually have never thought about it but I do find that one really evocative yeah like something really cherished that you really love yeah and then someone takes it and just like ruins it and and like destroys it that's that's kind of awesome I don't know I would have to try to structure mine in those in those terms yeah probably but yeah, that's way better than a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, viewers. Okay, come up with your individual idealized porn that you could, you you know, you're given $400,000. I don't know how much porn costs. That sounds fine, right? 
can you, I don't know what you can make with $400,000. You can rent one of those Airbnbs for $400,000. Oh, yeah. You can make a good yeah. one for $400,000. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who. It would, it would be two people, though. I don't think it would be more than that. I don't know. I'm an introvert, so I don't think that I would have a big party. That seems hellish. <laughs> I do like those like old 70s movies, you know, where with like tons of people everywhere and historical costumes and shit. Like I do like that. I do like a bit of like Cleopatra or something, you know? Like I like a costume. There's not enough of that. You're in for Yeah. Yeah. I do. I I admit that. I like a I like a really nice I don't know, not necessarily like I like hats. Uh, there would be hats, stamps. <laughs> this is really erotic. <laughs> Elena would have some like crinoline skirts, I'm sure. Somewhere. Sure. sure. That's, that's mandatory. That would be fun. <laughs> it would. In object relations theory, they talk about the exciting object. So the exciting object is the person that is reliable sometimes, but kind of disappears at other times, like like Mr. Darcy, etc. Um, and so we are always attracted to them because they remind us of one or other caretaker that we might have had that was reliable and kind to us, but also would like peace out sometimes or just like, you know, disappear. And we were kind of, we'd like internalize that and kept that as like a really you know, like thought it was our fault that they would do that. So mm. we have this this mode in our minds, some of us, most of us, that people, we want them to be nice, but not too nice, mm. which kind of relates to, I don't know, like erotic, like chasing and the game and everything that we want this connection, but we don't want it to be reliable in the same way. You know, that's why there's this like, it's usually like with men, but I think women do this too and, and engage, you know, pairings it's like the same thing can happen it's like one person is consistent the more consistent partner and the other person is kind of more uh, unreliable and that makes them desirable or something and it's about power and it's interesting and I think that's kind of the drama of some of romance and you know the erotic stuff too sometimes they switch spots like sometimes I don't know if you've had this in relationships I've had this at least once where I would start out being the one who was like waiting and the other one was you know, the more unreliable person. And then, and then like two years in, it would switch. And all of a sudden I was the one who was kind of the exciting object or like Mm. the unreliable person. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting whenever I get involved in a pairing like that with someone, you know, I always try to remind myself like, okay, this is just exciting object stuff. Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) the the excitement of the object will fade. It's true. And like, it's an illusion and it, you know, goes back to this like early childhood stuff and you know that person is you know has their own full story that they're living and and you know they're just basically they're just incapable of being consistent and communicating reliably and that's just not cool you know even though we think it's sexy it's like kind of just not cool Mm. yeah I'd like to divorce sexiness from that but (laughs) right that kind of is what sexiness is in a weird way yeah just reminded me of um, who I never say the name right. Oh, Arnold Barth. <laughs> yeah, yes. Jenny it, loves him. It reminded me of one of my favorite from a lover's oh, discourse, yeah. where he says, "Am I in love? Yeah. Yes, since I am waiting, the other one never waits. That's right. Sometimes I want to play the part of the one who doesn't wait. I try to busy myself somewhere elsewhere to arrive late, but I always lose at this game." 
Oh, that's so yes. true. Yeah. Yes. The lover's discourse. Whatever I do, I find mm-hmm. myself there with nothing to do, punctual, even ahead of time. The lover's fatal identity is precisely this. I am the one who waits. Yes. Oh my God. So <laughs> tragic. I will get a tattoo of that. I am the one who true, waits. It's true. Yeah. Whoever waits. Yeah. The yeah, <laughs> we are all that, and we are all the one-weighted. Yeah, it's true. Like, we yeah. are always both. We are always We're both. both. Yeah, I think somewhere here is where the romantic erotic exists. Maybe conventionally for women, but I think it still plays out. You know, in romance novels and in and in films and in serial basically in any sort of romantic erotic serial it's like the cliffhanger is are they going to get together or not and it's like if they had gotten together in the first episode it wouldn't be satisfying it wouldn't be erotic it would be kind of like it would be like the pizza guy just like coming on the girl's face in the first 15 minutes or sorry in the first 15 minutes like that's great I'm sure that's great everyone but like that's not what I want you know it's like it needs to last a little bit longer and I I don't know I'm just going to posit this I wonder if it has to do with like the difference in orgasm for women versus men and that like ours takes a lot longer to happen and it has a lot more complexity where it can happen numerous times and and, and it isn't <laughs> we like thank you theory. Thank you. We appreciate yeah. your your frustration, yes. Well, I thought about this. Yeah. So like maybe, you know, the narrative needs to have the same kind of rhythm to it that our, our physical experience has. Hmm. Um, and so the needs, you know, are kind of more complex and have to do with the passage of time. Hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe like maybe it changes based on like, you know, everyone's hormone levels. Like I don't want to over I don't want to oversay like this is men and this is women. It's like there's also maybe different lots of different being biological, but like lots of different hormones to sex. So maybe at different times we're feeling more romantic or more, mm-hmm. you know, just like full on straight ahead physical. And yeah, I want to talk about like human sexuality versus like not like male and female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have like a favorite romantic story that you remember or you read when when you were younger or a movie or something that really got you when you were a kid that was like a, this like line between the romantic erotic I do, you do. yeah what's yours I can't I have a lot I was always doing this when I was a kid. A lot of times it was just connected to different people in the movies. Or it was the movies that my mom wouldn't let me watch, which were like very few of them. But yeah, I was thinking a lot about the movie The Big Easy, which is really fucked up with uh, Dennis Quaid and um, Ellen Barkin. Mm -hmm. It's just like this kind of goofy cop, racist cop drama, honestly, about New Orleans. But... It was so dark. My mom wouldn't let me watch it, but she was obsessed with it. And she had the DVD of it. Or, yeah, she had it. No, she had the VHS of it. And she let us watch everything. We could watch. We had HBO. We had, like, all these R-rated movies. But this was the one that we couldn't watch. And I knew that's because it was good. Like, something really good happened. And Mm. it's awesome. Like, it's pretty hot. (laughs) What happened? Is it, like, an image that you, like, when you remember it, is it, like... What part of it do you remember as being erotic? I mean, a bi- in a big way, it's because it's New Orleans, and New Orleans is, like, Sexy. really important. My mom's family's all from there, and New Orleans is just hot. Like, it just is, you know, just as a place. And I'd been there. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, a very sexual place. And I always associate it with that, too, because as even as a child, I remember being there, and it was really beautiful, and the weather was beautiful, and the food was really fun. And the people were free and, like— 
I don't know. They were just kind of in their bodies and happy in a different way. Not happy, but like, I don't know, different than my family. And my family was like very atheistic and serious and scientists. And when we went to New Orleans, it was a little bit more free flowing. I don't know. The movie is, I like it because she's like a nerdy lawyer uh, and he's a bad, he's a bad kind of corrupt Cajun cop. And it, this was also about me, like, idealizing and weirdly characterizing my Cajun identity as, like, this wild thing, which mm-hmm. is, like, fuck, super fucked up. But, yeah, <laughs> and, and then this nerdy – maybe it was about my background, probably. Like, my family – I was just, like, making peace with my whole family. But she's, like, this nerdy lawyer who's really prissy, and then he kind of, like, talks her into having sex with him in various ways and, you know, kind of – he, like, romances her like New Orleans romances any uptight person, and I was – for that because I, you know, kind of had the same experience. And she's just fucking super hot and amazing. And I don't know, there's a lot of, she does a lot of jogging that I found really sexy. <laughs> jogging on like poncho train. I mean, come on. That's very titillating. Yeah. Folk music happens, which is always really sexy always for fun. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch it again. It's actually really problematic to watch now. <laughs> I'll watch it. I want to watch it. Yeah. 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 Well, don't judge me. I join you virtually. I was 11. (laughs) No, I'm sure it will prove exciting in other new ways. (laughs) Now that we have a historical perspective, if you will. This is just something to do with kind of um, virtual living, you know, how... Or maybe, like, I have an idea of sort of what a bohemian life is. I mean, mine is not quite like that. I sort of think I had one. Um, but, you know, just the sort of idea of, like, of this life, which I think we think of culturally, socially, as a bohemian life. You know, we sort of just have these trysts constantly and, mm-hmm. you know, just, like, enjoying the velvet. Floor pillows. Floor pillows. <laughs> we roll around in this sunken living room, you know. It's embodied and you, um, and you experience it. We are living out, like, porn or these like audio apps or whatever like all these ways in which we kind of live out these fantasies you know in a in a really realistic way or something anyway it just feels it also feels like it it spells doom for this kind of bohemian living in general you know because it sort of all moves to these simulated experiences mm-hmm. you know versus people actually living that you know because it's dangerous it's dangerous to kind of engage in this kind of behavior it's kind of you put yourself in um, vulnerable and and also like i guess you know just like you can get <laughs> chlamydia or like whatever <laughs> whatever awful sounding news you can think of um yeah and with an app um it's just you kind of experiencing it but not really. Versus the bohemian life where it's like you meet people's friends and then you kind of vet them that way. Is that what you mean by bohemian life? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's like you it's just, just meet, someone someone meet people in, in real life and you just have these situations where you somehow are breaking conventions, which is difficult really. I think it's just kind of like more of like a 19th century idea anyway because there's not so many conventions to break really, I feel like right now. Yeah. But yeah. That's true. Actually, there are probably still people that are engaging in quite wild behavior. I just maybe don't know them (laughs) because of my chaste circle. (laughs) I was reading one of the articles that we were looking at for this. And uh, one of the people who like left a comment on something or what was it? 
Oh, I don't remember what I was reading about, but they were just very matter of factly reviewing something or someone. Some I don't remember, but they were talking about. They were like, "Yes, yeah, so when my boyfriend and I engage in group sex sessions, we find that this and this." Oh yeah, actually, that happens left yeah. and right. I think I'm just not privy. But to I do think it's more. It's like very formal. Like it doesn't actually feel that bohemian. Oh yeah, it's, it's like spontaneous. It's not spontaneous. Bohemian is spontaneous. Right? Yes, it's yeah. like even like BDSM. All of it. Like the communities are very like structured. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, you have to formalized. go. It's formalized. It's yeah, or like, the communes. You know, the, there's a communes yeah. that are devoted to sort of this kind of right. sexual. Yeah, and like sex um, parties. Like they're sex very, parties. Cool. They're very, like, very rigid, and there's just yeah, very, it's a lot of um, rules. rules. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Well, the rules for everything now. There's been like, right. doing sex scenes and films. Right. There's kind of a yeah a consultant usually is yeah. to do. Um, do I properly. mean, which sounds great in my opinion. You know, yeah. I mean, this, it is like a dangerous territory where you can I guess overstep bounds. Just really easily, yeah. but at the same time, it's also like it's a wild territory where I think if you have too many rules, that's also becomes really right. sanitized and kind of right. boring. Really, right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, when people don't mess with power and like overwhelm people or take you know take people for granted. I mean, not for granted, but take advantage of situations. It would you know we could just kind of randomly have encounters with people or have like big orgies and stuff but i think now knowing like how fucked up things have been in the last 30 years forever centuries you know it's really great to have these rules maybe we're at the beginning of the rules when we kind of over you know they're they're rigid in this kind of nervous scared way maybe people will develop over time and just have better boundaries and the informal will return because mm-hmm. they're just the rules are just They'll sort of ingrained in us yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's oh. the hope, I think. That's my I guess. hope. Well, people also inevitably, I think, they create rules and they break them. It's just sort of an ongoing yeah. cycle. construction, destruction yeah. cycle, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. I do hope, though, that the things about, you know, like consent, you know, I mean, the basic rules of, like, don't take sex from people when they're not giving it, you know, that that just becomes something that is a given, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, that's no fun. There's nothing fun. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think that like the way that it's mediated, like, te- like, I feel like people will always abuse power, but I wonder if now it's like, it's so mediated and so like ruled and there's so much language around it that actually like, are people drawing their own boundaries of consent or are we just like following a formula of consent? Yeah. I think for me, it's the, it's for women. It's pretty in general, not that women don't do bad things, but it's pretty clear what, what has been okay and not okay for us. But I think it's mostly the more empowered and that's mostly men in the scenarios that are just new to the idea of what consent is and isn't. And I think that it's like their learning that's happening and that hopefully will be happening for the next 20 years and then it will become more chill. That's what I think. And I think it's just like alarming because it's alarming for them. And it's alarming for us, for me personally, just because, oh, wow, this was really going on for a long time. And I, you know, maybe internalized some stuff that went down and didn't understand that it wasn't cool. And now I know that it wasn't cool. Oh, my gosh. You know, I think that, (laughs) you know, that. I think that we kind of had an awakening and I think men are having this other kind of awakening that it isn't really their business. Totally. The discomfort is from a lot of this rupture, I would say. Yeah, no, totally. Mm. And it's like a whole new lens to look back. Like, I feel like I look back on so many of my own experiences through like a totally different lens. Yeah. In a way, I do feel kind of uh, sad about going, like looking back on my early life, like in the same way you were saying, Elaine, like, 
like, I, you know, like look back at when I was in high school and it was like free and it felt really kind of the randomness factor was really exciting. And you never knew, you know, even with one person, what was going to go on. And I don't know, it, it did feel free in a certain way that it can't now. But that was a lot more danger, too. But isn't it like, I feel like if I think back over that, it's like there is also a kind of like empowerment that comes from learning yourself through those experiences and like through the Mm -hmm. unknown and through the spontaneity and even through the danger Mm -hmm. a little bit. I, this is an interesting little fact oh, yeah. about the way that people talk about their oh, stories of meeting each yeah, other. Yeah, it's because we meet on Tinder, and so everything yeah. becomes very ubiquitous. Yeah. Like, oh, yes, we swiped. We swiped, oh, we oh, met. Oh, oh. Now yeah. here we are. Right. Yeah. What does it say that people used to use 67 words to tell the story of how they met, and by 2017, <laughs> that had shrunk to 37 yeah. words. Right. Because it doesn't take many to say, when on Tinder and swipe right. Oh, yeah. like even our stories about our relationships are getting more boring. Yeah. Oh my gosh, hey. that's just too sad. <laughs> Maybe this is uh, the end. Can we end on a, on a cheerful <laughs> note for just, you know? Yeah, I, I think it's nice. I mean, I know most of the people that I'm friends with who are together are, are with them because of the internet, and they seem pretty happy, you know? And okay, I think, so even uh, though 37 words, you can still be yeah. happy. Cool. <laughs> I think the quality of relationships change and the quality of sex doesn't necessarily change, you know, and I think it's easier for queer people to get together because of the internet to some extent, mm. you know, oh, and true. people yeah. of varying backgrounds and even, you know, particular sexual preferences. I mean, imagine all the people... You had to like put an ad in a paper and meet a rant bunch of you know what I mean? It's like No, you just have to know oh, yes. like what corner of the park to right. go to. Right. Yeah. It's efficient. You speak to random people. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> I'm skeptical of efficiency in love and mm-hmm. romance, mm. I think. Me too. Me too. But yeah, I don't want to put an ad in a paper and show up randomly at a bar either. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd like a little bit more screening. Maybe not a lot, but did you guys have uh internet like in the early times of the internet times? Did you meet people on the internet and when it wasn't really formatted, you know what I mean? Right. Like when you yeah. You mean like AOL or like chat rooms? Yeah, did you ever meet any of those kind of people? Yeah, there were some like things mm. I think I had or just like you know friendships I guess yeah, oh, yeah. Like meeting people through some sort of yeah I think I flirted person. with a lot of people in AOL chat rooms but no. I never met them. <laughs> I can see that <laughs> do you remember what it was like to go into the AOL chat room like as a kid like what was the context like pretend like I'm I'm a 12 year old and I don't know what that is oh I mean from what I remember I feel like it was all text right like you could just type yeah and I just remember knowing that it was like kind of a space where people yeah well it was like it was like this exciting space because I was like what like a 10 year old girl or 11 or 11 maybe and like you could pretend to be or you could be like 17 or you know you could be whoever you wanted to be and there was no right nobody knew yeah and actually that's but that was probably the really exciting thing was you actually didn't know who you were talking to either right so like I remember like you know flirting with people and they said they were like 15, but maybe they were really like 65, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's yes, a strange yeah. space. That's a really strange space. <laughs> and we didn't even have it in our minds because it really didn't happen at that point where people would get in. They weren't endangered by the possibility. It was like creepy, but it wasn't terrible. Like there wasn't. Right. Yeah. The internet had not yet been terrible. 
it was kind of this free. Well, it was so new. Yeah. Yeah. It was nice to talk to you, Jenny. Yeah, you too. Yeah, it was nice. Uh-huh. Um, nice to come together in a an hour <laughs> semi-constructed subject uh, we will away ourselves into the heat of the night yes me as well we shall reconvene next week for yet another titillating topic <laughs> yes so keep tuning in yeah talk to you soon ciao bye bye bye